There is a way, and that way is forward together. This is the John Peacock Podcast. Welcome to Season 2. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is John Peacock. It is so good to see you guys. Today is More Monday. And uh, the reason we do More Monday is because my messages are uh, only about 25 minutes long and there's just so much more. There's just so much more that uh, we could talk about and quite frankly, I think need to talk about. And so that's uh, really what Mondays are all about. So to you watching on Facebook or wearemission.online, I'm so glad that you guys are catching, catching this content. Uh, some of you will watch it a little bit later on YouTube or perhaps on the podcast. And we have just begun. We are out of the gate, just starting a brand new teaching series on the book of Philippians called Standing Strong. And I have a friend joining me today on the show. He is a professor of theology, Dr. Sunday, Sunjay Merchant. What's up, buddy? How we doing? I'm good, John. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for helping out. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, this is so fun. And you and I, we did a very similar thing when we went through the book of James uh, in the spring. That, that felt like 10 years ago. A lot has changed since then. Yeah. <laughs> it was only May. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I reached out to you and just said, hey, man, would you help uh, on Mondays talk a little bit more in depth about this book of Philippians? And so on behalf of our church and folks that watch this that, that don't attend our church or any church, man, thanks for using your, your gifts and knowledge to to talk a little bit with us. It's going to be good. Oh, of course. Of course. So uh, let's, let's, let's dive right into it. Let's, uh, we're talking about Philippians. And I know you have, uh, you have some passion and understanding around Philippians. Let's start with just context. I didn't, uh, as you know, you look through the manuscript. I didn't, I just barely touched on some of the context, but context is key. Yeah. And so I'd love for, let's kind of do a deep dive on the context of Philippians. Yeah. So <laughs> Paul writes, Apostle Paul writes the book of Philippians from a Roman jail. Uh, he's, he's under house arrest, actually, and he's, um, it seems, just about to get in front of Caesar. And it's his, apparently his lifelong dream to preach, preach the gospel to Caesar. Uh, we don't know whether that actually ever happened. Uh, the New Testament never gets there. Um, the book of Acts closes with Paul still under house arrest. Philippians was written at that time. And it seems like you see this in the first chapter of Philippians, it seems like he knows he's going to die. And he's actually debating, which would be better? Because mm. if they kill me, I get to go to be with the Lord, which sounds insane. Yeah. <laughs> Those people don't talk that way. But maybe it's better for your sake, you Philippians, who I love, uh, to, to remain with you, because I know that you have needs. And, you know, and I know that you need my teaching and my guidance and my prayer and my counsel. And I need you. And he's very thankful to the Philippians as well for their prayers and care for, for him and his gifts. So it's a beautiful book. I mean, the book mm. is about, it's so ironic. The book, um, it's, it's like the continued reemerging theme is joy. And he's talking mm. about the fact that he's just about to be killed, which is so just odd. Mm. Um, but that's, that's the experience of this apostle. Um, so anyway, th this is so fascinating. I hope people are really interested in this. If there's any history nerds, I have a PhD in philosophical theology, but if not that, I would have done history. I'm such, I love history, huge history nerd. The background is so fascinating. Yeah. So 
the town of Philippi, which this was this ancient town, um, pre-Greek town, and it, it actually had gold mines there. So uh, huh. that's why the town was was founded way back in prehistoric times. Nobody's exactly sure what, uh, when. Well, so there's a town there. Um, eventually, it gets incorporated into this country north of Greece called Macedonia, which of course still exists today. The most famous king, well, I'd say maybe the second most famous king of Macedonia is, called, is named Philip II. Philip II was this really impressive military leader in human history. Uh, you remember the, the Spartan warriors, remember with their yeah. fighting phalanx, right? And so the fighting phalanx was this like wall of men who would be trained kind of like NFL linemen to stand side by side and keep mm. ranks and keep a closed wall, just like linemen don't allow blitzing linebackers <clears throat> to get through and sack the quarterback. There's this wall of men and they've got a wall of shields. So when they hold their shields together in perfect unison, you see just see a wall of metal. So what, what do you do to that? Basically, it's a human tank, right? That's the, 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 the strength of the Spartan fighting line. And so you've got this, this human tank, this wall of shields. And then the, the wall of shields would open up on command, and these spears would come out and kill everything in front of it, and wow. then close up. I mean, how do you fight that, right? <laughs> yeah. So those were, the, those were the Spartans, and they were this dominant military force. Huh. So Philip in Macedonia, which is this country just north of Greek, Greece, adopts the Spartan fighting phalanx, but he makes one modification. He makes the spears twice as long. <laughs> and the Spartans were like, why didn't we think of that, right? <laughs> uh, and not only that, he, he teaches them and trains them to use these unusually long spears, which are hard to wield. So they're specially trained, the Macedonian soldiers. And then he, he incorporates uh, mounted soldiers, cavalry on the sides to protect the sides, because you can't protect yourself very well on your side when you have an extra long spear. So when the Greek armies and the Macedonian armies go up against each other, when the armies with the double long spears win. Yes. And so Philip swept through Greece and just destroyed Greece. And he thought of himself also as a Greek. Many of the Greeks thought of the Macedonians as not really Greeks, but barbarians. And so he really wanted to emphasize his Hellenism, his Greekness. And he really wanted to be a Greek king. The big power in the area was Persia. Persia owned the whole of what we would now call the Middle East, all the way down to Egypt, across Turkey. Uh, Turkey didn't exist at the time, but it's called Asia Minor. Um, Persia owned all of that. And you know from you know, the, the movies and things like that. The Persians are always invading Greece and the Greeks. Yeah. Okay, Persia's the big power. So Philip of Mas Macedon um, takes all of that area. The town Philippi is named after him. It's one of the towns that he conquers. And so he, he, um, he just destroyed all of Greece and he wanted to emphasize his Greekness. So he wanted his son mm. trained by the greatest Greek tutor he could find trained in Greek philosophy and Greek thinking and Greek science. And the greatest tutor that he could find for his young son was a man by the name of Aristotle. Come not on. Bad, no yeah, way. Not, not a bad tutor. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> so he said to Aristotle, I want you to come back to Macedonia and train my son. And uh, he said, only if you rebuild my hometown, which you destroyed, which he, which he did. So he rebuilt uh, Aristotle's hometown and was reestablishing. He destroyed Greek. Greece, but he, he was a Greek. He thought of himself as a Greek. So he's rebuilding Greece, showing that he is an actual Greek king, offering uh, fire to Zeus at the Olympic village and all of this sort of thing and, and putting up statues and things. And so Philip becomes this, this, this king of Greece and he brings Aristotle to tutor his young son. Well, um, not much time goes by and Philip is apparently assassinated. I think he was maybe poisoned. This is about 300 years before Jesus is born. Uh, at that time, his young son takes over his kingdom, 
His young son at that time was only 20 years old, tutored for many years by Aristotle. His young son is Alexander the Great. Amazing. So Alexander the Great is the student of Aristotle. No, dude, I never knew that. Yeah. I never knew that. So here's something really vital about Aristotle's philosophy. A lot of people know this. If you take intro to philosophy in college, or you just know a little philosophy. A lot of people know that, okay, Plato was Aristotle's teacher. So you got Plato, then Aristotle, then Alexander. That's a line of teachers and students. Um, Plato taught that there were two worlds. There's this world that we live in of material objects, like my physical body and other things. Um, these are all changing, transient things. Humans are born and grow and then age and die. Trees grow and die. Things come and go. But there is a sort of permanence behind reality too. Um, and what the keeps things permanent? Where are the permanent eternal things? Well, Plato said that the permanent eternal things are in heaven. So there's earth and there's heaven. Mm. There are two distinct worlds. Mm. And actually, we individual humans, for example, are just imperfect copies of perfect humanness, which exists mm. in heaven. It's not a human, per se, but humanness itself is a real thing. It's an invisible thing. And we are imperfect copies. So it's like the mold. You've got like this Play-Doh mold and you put different bits of Play-Doh in. And if you have like old crusty Play-Doh, you put it in and you get a very imperfect little human figure and you mix the colors and things. And you yeah. get all of these, but the mold is perfect, right? Um, and that's the idea is that these molds, these eternal forms exist in heaven. And so that's what Plato taught. Aristotle didn't like that. Two different worlds. We live in one world. We can't get to the other world. He didn't mm -hmm. like that. He wanted to have a theology that brings the two worlds together, the eternal and the temporal and bring them together into one world. He wanted to intellectually unify the world. And so that's what he taught Alexander. So Alexander wanted to do in the political world what Aristotle was doing in the intellectual world. He wanted to unify the whole world under one rule. Wow. So he's actually bringing to politics all of Aristotle's teachings. So he didn't try to conquer the world just because he was this megalomaniac. He was a megalomaniac, <laughs> uh, but he actually had a philosophy behind him. No kidding. And he's going and he conquers the whole Persian Empire. He's 20 years old. By the time he's 26, he conquers the Persians. It's crazy. Jeez. Um, so he's just this, this powerful military genius. Um, and as he goes, he adopts Persian ways. He wants to unify everything. So he's mm. not only Greek and Macedonian, but also Persian. He's also Egyptian. He takes on all of these different ways. It really unsettles a lot of his troops. They don't like it. Um, and as he's going along, he's, fight, he's encountering new plants and animals. He gets all the way to Pakistan and, and fights an army led by battle elephants, which no Greeks had ever seen before. <laughs> so he's finding all these animals and plants. He's sending them back to Athens for Aristotle and his students to analyze and make a whole taxonomy of all of the natural world. Oh he's trying to unify everything. and make sense. So that was, that was Alexander's whole, um, uh, whole interest. So... That's also why the New Testament is, is written in Greek. He conquers all of that area and he brings Greek, the Greek language, to not okay. only the Mediterranean, but across the whole Persian Empire to Israel, down to Egypt. So the common language is now Greek a few hundred years before Jesus is born. So that's why the New Testament is written in Greek. Well, Alexander soon, di soon dies after. Maybe he was poisoned too. We're not really sure. He Pretty young, right? Like 33? Very young, yeah. yeah. So he conquered the known world. I mean, where he didn't really get up into Europe. He didn't get down into Africa. He didn't get across to India and China. But he conquered this very important region um, of history. And um, he died pretty young. And his 
his kingdom immediately is broke, broken up among his generals. And you then see in the next couple hundred years, the slow decline of Greek power and the rising up of Roman power okay. in that vacuum. And so that's why when the New Testament opens, we see the Greek language and Roman authority. The mm -hmm. Romans took over from where Alexander left off because his kingdom crumbled. So Roman authority begins to rise and the great Roman, not emperor quite, but wannabe emperor, uh, that rises in that vacuum a few hundred years later is Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar gains all of this power and the Roman Republic is worried about Julius Caesar. They're really worried about him and how much power he wants to have. He wants to have too much power. And so you remember Julius Caesar, they assassinate him yeah. there in Rome and his own friends kill him. And this, this uh, sparks a civil war. And the civil war is between uh, the friends of Julius Caesar, Mark Antony and Octavian, who is his young heir. Octavian is a very young man. Uh, and they're fighting Brutus and Cassius, who had Julius Caesar assassinated. And so you've got Romans versus Romans, mm. civil war. And the final battle between uh, the two Roman armies, the pro-Julian army and the, the Caesareans and the anti-Caesareans, the final battle happens at the town of Philippi in Macedonia. No way. Yeah, the Battle of Philippi is Get about out of here. Yeah, it's about 50 years before Jesus is born. The Battle of Philippi happens. And guess who wins? Julius Caesar's friends win. They win and they take power. So power is shared between Mark Antony and Octavian. And they established the town of Philippi as a Roman military retirement town. So <clears throat> It's like, exactly. it's, like the, it's like the villages in Florida. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's what Philippi is. For loyal um, Roman soldiers who have fought for Rome and earned their citizenship, earned their pensions, and are now enjoying life there in Philippi, that's what Philippi was for. It's for retired Roman military, 50 years before Jesus was born. So Mark Antony and Octavian take power. Eventually, Octavian wrestles away power from Mark Antony and actually becomes the emperor that Rome feared. He becomes the first legitimate emperor of Rome. And when the New Testament opens, we're told that Jesus was born and the emperor now is an old man by the name of Augustus Caesar. That's Octavian. That's the same man. Wow. So Octavian becomes Augustus Caesar and he is emperor of Rome when Jesus is born. So 50 BC, Philippi becomes a Roman retirement town. Octavian becomes emperor. 50 years later, Jesus is born under, um, under uh, Augustus Caesar. 50 years after that, so 50 AD, so 100 years from the Battle of Philippi, Paul, as we read in the book of Acts, gets uh, a vision. And he's been preaching. He's gone on a, a missionary journey where he went preaching through Asia Minor. That's the country we now call Turkey. It's not quite Turkey yet. The Turkish people aren't there. But some other people groups are there, and uh, he's going through these circuits and, and preaching and teaching. And along the way, he picks up this young man, Timothy, who his mother is Jewish, his father is Greek. He's perfect for, for Paul's ministry. Yeah. He's a young man. He's faithful. He's part Jewish, which appeases the Jewish Christians. And he's also part Greek, which uh, is Paul's ministry, is to preach to the Gentiles. So Timothy is really the perfect ministry part. Yeah. And so he's with Timothy and they decide to go back through all the towns that they had gone through previously and um, taking this message from uh, the council of, uh, of Jerusalem. In Acts 15, they had this message to the Judaizers, hey, 
God has accepted both mm-hmm. Jews and Gentiles and created one new, one new race. Um, so let's not make these ethnic distinctions. Let's not be ethnocentrist. Or today we would mm-hmm. say, let's squash racism in the church. Yeah. There was a different form of it. Uh, it was a pro-Jewish, you're not really a Christian unless you're, mm-hmm. you're Jewish. And so they were squashing that whole idea. And he's going through the towns with the message of the book of Galatians. He's teaching them all of these things. And then he gets this vision and he gets uh, Macedonians calling him, please come and preach the gospel to us. Hmm. So for the first time that we know in human history, the gospel moves from Asia and the apostle with Timothy goes across to the first town he comes to in Europe. The first ever, ever town where an apostle preaches in Europe was at Philippi. So he comes into Philippi 100 years after the battle of uh, Philippi, and we read in Acts 16, Luke tells us that Philippi is a proud Roman town, right? Uh, There are Romans there, and you're like, well, but this is Macedonia, kind of Greece. Why is it Roman? It's a Roman, for 100 years, they still Mm. keep their Roman identity and their Mm. their Roman sensibilities. And Paul and and, uh, Timothy, along with Luke, come into Philippi to preach the gospel for the first time. And you remember at Philippi, they get arrested for preaching something which is unlawful under Roman law. You're preaching a God that has not been legalized. Hmm. They had many gods, but some were legally sanctioned and some were illegal. And this God that you're preaching, this Jesus Christ has Hmm. not been vetted. So you're doing something illegal. So they arrest uh, Paul and and, uh, Timothy and Luke. And you remember uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, are arrested. Barnabas is with them, I didn't mention. And you remember that um, <laughs> they beat them and they think that they're just Jewish foreigners or something like that and they can do whatever they want to them. And um, they said to him, you know, it's not lawful for you to preach this, this God here. This is a Roman town. And he says to him, I understand that. Isn't it also unlawful to beat Roman citizens? Paul's a Roman citizen. He's yes. born a Roman citizen. And they freaked out. And the reason why they freaked out is because these Romans had earned their citizenship through military service. It was a hard thing to get. And so they really valued it. Mm. So when they beat Paul, a Roman citizen, and violated his civil rights, they freaked out. They thought, we could get executed for this. Wow. That's why in the book of Philippians, Paul emphasizes for the Philippians, your ultimate citizenship is not an earthly citizenship. Mm. Your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. They so valued their citizenship. He was talking to people that were such patriots, they would die for their country. And he said, you love your country, you love your citizenship. That is a small token of the great citizenship that we have in heaven. And it's even worth betraying your earthly citizenship if God were to call you to that. I'm not saying that God does call you to that. But if it's your earthly citizenship versus Mm. your citizenship in heaven, we will forsake our earthly citizenship for citizenship in heaven. If the king tells us about God, If the president tells us, if the Senate tells us, if the parliament tells us to flout God and God has called us to this, we obey God and invoke our heavenly citizenship. And that's all part of Paul's message and kind of the background of why he says some of those things. So on on Sunday, you know, this weekend, I, one of my statements was, you know, if Paul were to write the letter Americans, um, I think one of the main things that he would emphasize, especially right now, is you are citizens, and I use the word saints, and I had a lot of fun kind of learning more about that term. You are saints of heaven first, citizens of the United States second. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that 
it's very much, I would love for you to kind of give some more thoughts on that, even just how relevant that is right now and, and what's at stake when we get those out of order. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're very attuned to that now. We're very sensitive to that. And there's a lot of, you know, different feeling and sentiment about that. Um, let me just say my sentiments. I am a happy patriot. I've always loved America. I was born in this country. My father's not from this country. That's why I have an Indian name and Indian, Indian heritage. Um, and so um, I don't think America is better and other countries are bad or something like that when I, when I love America. I also have a love uh, for India. That's the country that my father's from yeah. um, and a sort of uh, affinity and affiliation there as well. Um, and so love of your country doesn't mean hatred of another country or something like that. Um, but in some cases, in some people, it can because they are, I don't know, triumphalistic and they're narrow in some of these ways. And that can happen. And that's a sort of perverted patriotism. There's other people that um, they, they have the same citizenship as me and the same rights as me. And they're a little bit ashamed of their country for a no number of reasons. And there are some things that are shameful and painful and hurtful and things that need to be changed and fixed. And we can all agree to that. And maybe we find ourselves in all different places and that's perfectly okay. There's no judgment in any of that. And we can talk to each other and we can advise each other on this, but I certainly value my citizenship, my right to vote, my access to American institutions. Hopefully I can have a fair day in court if I ever need it. That's an important thing. Um, when I was younger, I could apply to colleges and, and, um, and get aid uh, and help and I can get certain, certain benefits or certain great things. There's certain real drawbacks and limitations. It can be a mixed thing, but let's say you're like me and you value your citizenship. And when you see the flag, you wanna say, you know, I'm thankful for the freedoms that I have and all of those sorts of things. But that has its limitation. That affiliation, although good, is not ultimate for me. Um, when I die, my U.S. citizenship comes to an end and my passport is no longer valid, right? And uh, if I don't have citizenship elsewhere, I can't, I can't uh, immigrate to my true country, to my home country, right? Which would be heaven. Mm. So I value that much more. And if in any sense I ever detect that, you know, my country and you know, it is, it is important. I don't want to be an anarchist. It is important for us to be in social relation. I want to be able to go to the store and buy food for my children. I want to have a society, right? And have <laughs> commerce and things like that. I don't want to live in anarchy and everybody has sharp spears and is fighting over, is, you know, <laughs> fighting over scraps or something like that. Um, but, you know, again, if, if my country um, or any affiliation that I have ever, ever says to me, you need to forsake your creator, in order to rightly value what we're providing you, um, then I would gladly um, give up my rights to those institutions. I would gladly be homeless for some time looking forward to the home mm. you know, that God ultimately, ultimately provides. This is incredible, man. We're 22 minutes in. Bro, this is so awesome. My heart is full right now. Uh, hopefully you'll come back and we can talk about maybe next week, chapter two. Oh, uh, Philippians. I know there's so much more to talk about. Uh, you've given us such a gift today. Uh, so thank you. Thank you tremendously. And hey, if you guys are watching this, sharing is caring. Let's get the word out. I just think it's so important. Um, something I've said for, I don't know what, eight years now, almost nine years at Mission is context is key. Context is key. Uh, you've probably noticed people can make the Bible say almost anything they want it to say. And so one of my, personally, for my own Bible study that has been so incredible for me over the over years now is really spending time understanding the context. 
And so that's really what we're, what we're got at uh, today. And there's even more to come uh, in the week. So continue to join us on Mondays, but that's all we have today for more Monday. Dr. Merchant, appreciate you, brother. So good. You too. You too, brother. We'll see you guys soon. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. For more content or to access the show notes, visit johnpeacock.com. Until next time, keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, give it all you've got, be resolute, and love without stopping.